right. This is the A. I'm Reg Clay. And Jordan G. <laughs> and this is the A, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! We have a fantastic guest, someone I haven't seen in a while, Richard Talavera. Hey, what's up, man? Oh, you know. Wait a minute, we get to talk like Chicanos. Right on. Uh, a renowned uh, playwright and actor. I think you were last on stage at a Central Central uh, Central Works. No, he's right? done some readings. He's done some other stuff since. Well, yeah. Well, uh, come you on, guys got me confused here. Yeah, what, what do I say? What was the last thing you did? Uh, the last thing I did, I got to play um, in. Uh, uh, you know, I've been actually working up and working. Uh, my friend Neva Hutchinson, who uh, is an actress as well, uh, she she put together. Uh, a readers theater in her at her church, and she blames me for instituting it. We did uh, Countess Kathleen uh, by Yates. We did um, Time of Your Life, not mm. Time of Your Time of Your Life. We did uh, no, we did uh, no, we did, we did the other one. It was called um, uh, well. Anyway, we did uh, we did the uh, the Christmas play. It's a Wonderful Life, oh, and that yeah. was the last thing we read. <coughs> and um, I can't think of the other play we read, but. Uh, and I got to I got to play the uh, the drunk uncle um, that was played by Thomas Mitchell in the movie, hmm. and that was fun. <laughs> so you know it's it's kind of it's kind of neat that uh, that you put that together, and and uh, and that was the very last thing I did. But on a stage stage, yeah, I was in uh, Into the Beautiful North at uh, Central Works, and I got to play multiple characters. Yeah, directed by Gary Graves, who was a guest here. <laughs> uh, yes. Gary Graves, oh man, great guy. Really yeah, enjoyed. I really did learn a lot working with him. And he, uh, we had met. Basically, I was writing a play um, in his uh, his workshop mm -hmm. uh, that summer, and then we ended up doing Beautiful North in the in the fall. Yeah, yeah, I participated last year. Matter of mm. fact, it was a year ago that I was in his workshop as well. Mm. So, oh, great, learned great. a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's very focused mm -hmm. and. and uh, and I think I think that that's the thing is is something definitely gets done. Mm -hmm. it, you know, I, it's not one of those writing class where they're trying to, um, you know, uh, open your pool of creativity so much <laughs> as let's get going. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, Gary really does crack the whip, and he expects you to have a little bit of uh, of knowledge of what you're doing. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so that's really really cool. Yeah, and, and and I met some other playwrights there, and it was it was a good experience. Yeah. So as I always ask Norman, how's your week? Holy moly! Uh, so I finished my la I finished my last theater project, um, Playground. Mm -hmm. They do their uh, third Monday of the month at Berkeley Rep. Um, series of si short plays, six plays, and the theme this time was Home for the Holidays. And I had what I thought. I think I might have talked about it last time. A little tricky play. Mm -hmm. um, it's called Grandpa's Chair. And it opens on a woman sleeping on her couch and what is nominally an empty recliner next to her, but in fact, Grandpa is there. Mm. And so the playwright asks you to dress the guy so that he just sort of blends into the chair. Mm. That was the biggest challenge I had in trying to – because we basically, for the uh, playground thing, it's basically stage mm -hmm. reading. Yeah. You know, there's a little bit of movement, but you've got script <coughs> in hand. You get one day to rehearse. Yeah. Um, and – you know, it's funny because there's six pieces in a in the evening, and I've done it a few times now, and I'm always a little competitive. Mm -hmm. I want my piece to be the best. 
And, you know, that's partly based on the playwright. I don't know what the other plays are, but it's also how well do you stage it. And the trickiest part is knowing I only have one rehearsal. I have an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. How can – what can I accomplish? Yeah. What can I not accomplish? Yeah. What can I <coughs> simplify? You know, yeah. how can I use this time? And what yes. can the actors retain? In that uh, right. Time? Yeah. In that much time. Yeah. And so um, I think we came in second. Um, th- and – what I love about them, and so at the end of the night, um, Jim Kleinman um, says that you can vote mm-hmm. with your dollars. You can vote for the play that you like the most. Mm-hmm. And $1 is one vote, and $20 is 20 votes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they put little fish jar, um, you know, fish bowls out front. Mm-hmm. So as you exit, you pass this table with these little jars, and you there's an envelope in your program, and you put your envelope with whatever your votes are mm-hmm. inside. And it was clear the last <coughs> time I did it, mine had like twice as much as everybody else. Oh, good. So I was feeling great. There you go. This time, I didn't get to see. I didn't want to look. Yeah. But um, I would just say, based on my take on it, the first piece was uh, the first piece was Sam Hurwitt of all people. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know he was a writer. I've heard he was a writer. I hadn't paid attention. Brilliant, brilliant piece. Mm. But I think mine came in second. So I'm like, yeah, out of six, I'll mm-hmm. take that. So I know you directed it, but who wrote it? Um, Madeline Puccioni. Okay. Um, and yeah, she's, um, it, I have in this last year and i I hope when we do our, our end of the year piece, mm-hmm. our end of the year podcast, yeah. we can talk more about <coughs> that sort of thing, but getting connected to this world of uh, this cadre of, of yeah. playwrights, they're in touch with each other. Yeah. They're encouraging each other. They're getting little things up here and there and, you know, and everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, the more I can connect to them, maybe I can get yeah. – maybe this will turn into more direct. Yeah, because you've been mentioning Playground all through our podcast really throughout the, the year. It's and it been sounds a like big Playground is year a big for thing. that. It's yeah. become a big thing. And it's funny because it is such a simple commitment, mm-hmm. but it, it does grow. And yeah. we had Ruben on, right? Ruben Grijalva, yeah. Yeah, Grijalva. Um you know, people like that where I'm like, oh, my God, you're – because he's doing – he's writing for commercials. Mm-hmm. He's um, making his own little films. Wow. He's doing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, that's way more exciting. When I first got involved, I was very cynical. I was like, 10-minute plays. What the hell do you do with a 10-minute play? But another playwright taught me, well, I've been working on this play. I have a 10-minute piece that I think fits within the theme. Yeah. Let me throw that in. Yeah. And as a playwright, Richard, I want to ask oh, yeah. you – Maybe a little bit later on because we want to get into current events or whatever. But because, mm-hmm. you know, as a playwright, you focus on – I would think that you would focus on really focusing on full-length plays. Yeah, right. And the whole concept of doing these little minuets because we see it at Playground. We see it well, also at the – That's what um, I'm saying. This p- playwright told fight. me yeah. um, just take – find a, a section of your play that you think you can – Yeah fit in that 10-minute slot. Yeah. And then you rework it. You're a writer. You can't yeah. help yourself. You're going to rework it. Yeah. And that's um, one of the first things I did with Playground in recent years was a piece called Scapegoat. It was a full, de- fully developed play. Yeah. He had been working on it, and then he created a – took a 10-minute section and developed it. Yeah. Um, and then it went back, and it changed the whole play. Yeah. And then the next spring, I was in a reading of the play. So, so maybe this is um, – it could be a new normal or it could be a new um, – I would call it a business model mm-hmm. for playwrights to not focus on full-length plays, but like these little snippets – I mean, it's almost like YouTube videos, only well, for the it's, stage. It's, it's sort of just a quick, yeah. like, you know, this is just a, not a workshop, but a, you know, yeah. this is just a quick one-off. Yeah. Just throw it out there. And if you've got something you're already working on or thinking about, yeah. put that in. But if not, 
throw something in if you've got an opinion or yeah. something that you're inspired by. I mean, what do you think of the concept of that? I mean, well, I don't know. You know, I mean, I'm sort of attached to long, clunky plays that just seem to last forever. You know, yeah. I just, yeah. uh, you know, this idea of letting <laughs> you off the hook in ten minutes. You know, I, I, I don't know if I can buy that, but. But I'm not against it. I, I would have been there the other night, uh, Norman, but I was uh, stuck in traffic no, I know. and everything. You said you, I was you were also not feeling <clears throat> But maybe if I uh, check it out a little bit more, you know. Um, yeah, because yeah, it is a new way of thinking. I mean, we've had a bunch of playwrights on Scott Munson right. and Christina right. Wren and Jeannie Bar- yeah. Baroga who are used to <clears throat> the full-length play, and this mm-hmm. is the process. And even mm-hmm. if you write, like, a little scene, that's right. only a part of, you know, the the full thing. And... I don't know if it's because of the the. Um, I mean, we have new venues like you mentioned, right. uh, playground. There's mm-hmm. also piano fight. Piano fight. Right. There's right. also uh, um, play cafe and musical mm-hmm. cafe, oh, right. yes. which have menuets of musicals. Right. Um, so maybe theater companies are sort of mimicking, uh, like you know, when when y- young people listen to look at YouTube videos, they're watching. I was going to say you have to realize things. that it's yeah. definitely more in the model of the contemporary thing, which are these little videos, right? You know, from three minute to twenty minute mm-hmm. things. Yeah, um, it's it's. I think it's the equivalent yeah. of the short story, and even television shows. Like if you look at Game of Thrones, they're really just mm-hmm. snippets of like little scenes. Uh, interspersed, like you see a scene of Cersei Lannister, you know, screwing her brother. <laughs> I, I, I will have to take your word for it, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I, I missed it. I missed so spoilers, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm still catching up on the West She's been Wing. doing that for the last couple of years now. Um, and then you have a snippet of um, Jon Snow and, and blah, blah, this and that and that or whatever. So you don't have a full-length right. story but really just vigne- vignettes Well, that's of something that writer has developed, because I remember he had a series called uh, Wild R. R. Cards. Martin, yeah. George R. 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 Martin had a series called Wild Cards, mm-hmm. and that did that. Yeah. And, and it was so funny because the first book was wonderful. I think I liked the second book. Mm-hmm. Um, at a certain point, things start to lag, and just when you think, okay, this has gone too far, no, he hits his groove with something else, and then it expands again. Yeah. I don't know. It's but like I say, I think it's the equivalent of the short stories. So it's not for everybody, and it's a very specific and very um, demanding form. Mm-hmm. Um, because and it's funny because Mara comes, my wife comes, yeah. and um, I had to explain the concept of high context, low context to her. Mm-hmm. Um, when two characters are talking, let's say we're both um, scientists, we're physicists. Sure, I can make a quick reference to something. You can agree or disagree. Mm-hmm. We can do it in this sort of shorthand speak. Yeah. That if you put that in front of an audience, a, you know, a general audience, yeah. would make no sense at all. It goes right over their heads. On the other hand, yeah. if we broke each part of it down, yeah. the believability that you and I are serious scientists in this work right. just falls away. And so the challenge for the writer is to find that way to get to what you need to get to, get as much information as out as you can. Yeah. And yet – like, Mara didn't know uh, Saturnalia, to talk about the season. Mm-hmm. The first piece was called Home for the Holidays, and it was a brilliant concept. Yeah. This was an old folks' home mm-hmm. for unobserved holidays. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, and the first clue was one character's named Arbor. Mm-hmm. The other character's named May, and that's such a common name, you don't think about it. But as the scene kept developing, you started realizing, wait a minute, they're talking about mm-hmm. something. Yeah. And then the writer draws you in by not just telling you what it is, but yeah. dropping little clues and finding their way yeah. to it. It's funny. I'm looking at a poster, Lifetimes 3, um, which was written by Yasmin Reza. 
And it follows that concept where you have this high, what do you call it, high, um, high, con- <coughs> high content. We have two um, scientists. Mm-hmm. Well, basically, there's a scientist who's trying to write a research paper and therefore get funding and get published mm-hmm. because this will increase his status within the scientific community. And he's talking to another scientist. But all through the play, there's this little boy who's his son who's never seen on stage, who keeps on crying, mm-hmm. and he has to keep on going into the room to, you know, take care of the boy. Right. And he's not that great of a father, and he doesn't have low attention span or whatever. And it quickly becomes apparent to the audience that what they're talking about, this scientific stuff, is really irrelevant to mm-hmm. the tension that's happening on stage and just people communicating with one another. Right. Uh, so I look at it as sort of sort of that way. It is. It's, it's a brilliant device to right. put into a play and, and it's really required when you're dealing with a short short piece. Right, right, exactly. Well, so the other things recently is um had a Hanukkah party, Richard King. Right on. And um you know, I thought the party was nice. That game joking hazard is the game. It's based on a um a comic strip called um what is it called? Cyanide and Happiness. Mm-hmm. And it's hmm. a little like three panel strip usually. Mm-hmm. Um and it just gets outrageous and obscene at times. Is it like Matthew Gronick, like uh, Life in oh, Hell? Oh, way beyond. Oh, it's, okay. it's, it's, in that, it's in that range. Okay. It's in that zone. Um, and so the game is a game where you each you get a card, and you're going to put down three cards to mm-hmm. make a comic strip. Okay. So each you go around the, the table, and that person may – you pull a random card, mm-hmm. and then you either put a card with it, or um, if it's a – a punchline card, mm-hmm. then everybody else plays two cards. If the person who starts it pulls a random card and then places one of their cards with it, then everybody puts down one card to mm-hmm. finish out the, mm-hmm. the joke. Okay. And then that person is the judge, and they pick which one they think is funniest, and so you just try to accumulate cards. Mm. But the stuff that comes up is just outrageous. <laughs> and to okay. play it with teenagers... <clears throat> Well, yeah, Richard was, was, the best was yeah. watching. Yeah. Richard was kibitzing, which was great. Yeah, yeah. Kibitzing, right. Nice. Very, very nice. But that was that was a lot of – that was fun. And mm-hmm. then my week has been overwhelmed, mm-hmm. um, literally. That this is not Well, you're hyperbole. always busy. Uh, no, by um, Rod Dibble's death. Yeah, so Rod yeah. Dibble died. This is not I the baseball player. This is the uh, piano player. Piano player who played at the alley for over 50 years, 55 – over 55 years. Yeah. Um, had played since he said seven mm-hmm. was when he first started to get little gigs, yeah, doing things. And then um, I remember him telling the story once. At sixteen, he walked into a bar and got a regular job playing at a bar. Mm-hmm. And he went through that period where people don't recog- people don't always know that the history of America is the twentieth century starts with. A piano as mm-hmm. ubiquitous as the stereo. Mm-hmm. Every home That's had exactly a right. piano. Sheet yeah. music. If you were in the music business, right. the way you made money was the selling of sheet music. That's it wasn't exactly right. playing. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. You didn't have recordings. Recording was just starting. Mm-hmm. It was a novelty. Um, so he grows up through that era yeah. and then becomes a pianist and stays a pianist um, and stays with piano bars for mm-hmm. the majority of his life. And, uh, and he was a master at it. So I've spent over two decades mm. going to this place on average, I would say on average at least once a week. Mm-hmm. There have been weeks when I've been there three and four nights over the years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to know people. You get to watch 
the world go by in this place that's a little bit of a bubble. Yeah. And Rod has been the conductor mm-hmm. on that bubble. <laughs> and that time had already passed. If people want to see, um, Oakland Magazine this month mm-hmm. had a little blurb about it, and it said the post-Rod Dibble era. Mm. And I remember seeing it and thinking that that was an unfortunate title because it just, you know, it's like you don't say certain things until after people yeah. die. Well, I mean, I, 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 I was talking, mm-hmm. like I have a podcast with Craig Dickerson, mm-hmm. the Faith Podcast, and, and Craig immediately talked about Rod Dibble mm-hmm. and um, said he was a man who knew 5,000 songs, mm-hmm. much least, less 500. Off the top of his head. And could transpose. And could and, transpose the key on the fly. Yeah, and it's amazing. And I said, you know. It really is an era long gone by. I mean, how many, I mean, when you think about kids learning how to play the piano, I mean, we, you and I grew, I think all of us grew up. I think we're all in our 40s or 50s. I, I have my lessons. Yeah. And now. Or 60s. Kids sam- <laughs> you know, kids sample, you know, they use uh, Ableton Live or Cubase or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or, and it's, th- there's no emphasis on playing an instrument. Right. Um, talking right. about American kids. The and dexterity that comes with. Exactly. Put in all those thousands of hours. Exactly. Reading sheet music, <laughs> learning music theory. Right. Um, I didn't have any formal piano lessons, but I did learn how to play the piano by ear. Mm-hmm. But it really is an era just long gone by. I mean, I know tons of right. Rogers and Hammerstein and Rogers and oh. Hart songs and stuff like that. But okay, we're going to we're gonna have to have a special musical show at of some course, point. Of course. I've got, I've got the, uh, the keyboard <laughs> right here. <laughs> I mean, Craig Dickerson and I, we jam all the time. But you're absolutely right. I mean, Rod Dibble, I mean, who's going to take over his place? Who knows all of those? Who well, can do the have. things he... They already have. That's the thing. Rod, so as a regular, what I can tell you is that Rod has had a few health issues. He had a triple heart bypass yeah. um, maybe two and a half years ago. Yeah. Um, wow. And the funny thing was they told him two months recovery. He said, I'll be back in two months. He was back in two months, mm-hmm. and um, and it took him a little while to get back in the groove, but yeah. he was fine. Then he broke his hip, mm. and that one again they gave him a time period. It yeah. took him longer. He came back for one night, yeah, and uh, and it was a special night. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous night. Mm. Remember you telling me about that? And yeah. uh, and then we have been talking for months now. Are they ever going to have Rod back? Are they going to at least do a special, mm-hmm. like a retirement party or something? Mm. He had always said, and there are a number of interviews <coughs> that quote him saying that he would like to go out behind the keyboard. He said he'd like to hit that final chord and just pass oh. out. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so he, I don't know that he got to do that. Lord knows he was still playing every day. The other things people don't know about him, he, and it said in one of the interviews, um, he said, so his typical routine was he got up and just warmed up for 45 minutes, uh, what he just called a warm-up. Mm, yeah. And then he got out and exercised. People who knew him, he lived in Oakland, and then his last <coughs> years he lived in Berkeley. Yeah. Um, when he was in Oakland in those first years in Berkeley, he would walk at least seven miles a day. Wow. He would walk all the way down Solano yeah. when he lived in Berkeley, walk over to Solano all the way down to the water yeah. and then back up. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that was wow. a walk past, um, what is the um, – the, the horse, Golden Gate Field? Yeah, yeah, Golden Gate Field. He would walk along the shore there, the bay shore there, and then walk back up University. He was walking, so people, lots of people have memories of bumping into him in different places. Wow. Then he would go home, mm-hmm. relax, and then warm up. Yeah. And get ready for his evening. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was a regular thing. And I'm like, wow, what an amazing life. Yeah. Who it, gets that? You yeah. Know, I always remember you guys uh, singing, <coughs> excuse me, and, uh, but 
one night I remember in particular, you sang this Oakland theme song yes. or something, and I was like, who's going to ever sing that again? You know, uh, They've been doing it. I keep, I've missed it two nights this week. I get there right after they've done it. Two um, what, is, what is the Oakland theme song? Um, I'm sure that you're aware of famous cities everywhere, the ones they write about in song and verse. Hmm. There are songs about Chicago, London, Paris, and St. Paul, Buffalo, Miami, and for God's sakes, Beaver Falls, which breaks into a choral, Beaver Falls. <laughs> But Tin Pan Alley did us wrong. They never wrote a song about the greatest city of them all. Now don't go away. I hope you'll stay and hear the song I wrote today. And then it goes on and names all these things, mm-hmm. landmarks of Oakland, yeah. most of which still exist. But hmm. Wow. That's, and that's great. It's it's a gorgeous song. I remember, and everybody there in chorus singing this song. Well, everyone knew I the mean, song. It was, uh, it was the regulars did. It, it, well, it, it sounds was, like Cheers. It right? was a huge. Yeah. It, when I was there, I was like, "What? <laughs> I've never heard of this thing." Yeah, you know. And wow. there's an obscure recording that was on jukeboxes back when there were. Yeah. Well, I guess there are <laughs> digital jukeboxes now, but back yeah. when there were recorded yeah. record jukeboxes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's um, so it's been. I went in three nights this week. Um, the first night was the night I heard mm-hmm. Tuesday night, and I, yeah, and I got a, I got a message, mm-hmm. and I wrote back to the person. First, I'm sitting there, and I just don't know what to say. Yeah. So I wrote back, "Wow, yeah, I saw that." Dot dot dot. Thank you, because I didn't know what else to say. Yeah. And when I got there, the guy who had sent me a message was just walking by as I parked my car, and I rolled down my window. I said, "I'll be right in." And before I could get in the door, somebody else walked in, and we stopped, and we hugged each other. Mm. And what people kept saying was, thank you. Mm. It mm. was the weirdest greeting. Yeah. You know, and we kept – I kept doing it, thanking mm. other people who knew and had come out for that. And what was beautiful and weird about it was it was a normal night at the alley. There yeah. were all kinds of people from all walks of life <coughs> there, most of whom knew nothing about what was going on. Yeah. yeah. And the music was so colored by it, but a bunch of the regulars couldn't even step to the piano. They sat in a booth and cried. Um, So I came back the next night. We talked, and that was a guitar night. And the guitarist was supposed to play Wednesday night, and he talked the pianist who was there, talked him into coming back Wednesday, and he played Wednesday. And that was a little weird mix because it was, again, another regular crowd with Mm -hmm. a few more regulars. I mean, you know, normal crowd of, of, again, just a mix, particularly – the alley has gotten on the hipster list now. Mm-hmm. So a bunch of young people who know nothing about it and think of it as some weird karaoke novelty is mm-hmm. what they say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the folks who just didn't know and came out to sing like they regularly yeah. do and then the folks who knew. And then Thursday night is the big night for regulars. So there's a guy who's in his 90s who yeah. comes out yeah. and his wife. And they come from Rio Vista. Wow. So that's a big commitment. Yeah. Um, and there's a guy from San Francisco who's got to be in his eighties Yeah. and he came out. Yeah. Um, there were all kinds of folks like that that came out and the place was just packed. It was insane trying yeah. to even get a song in. He um, really was the piano man. I mean, if you think about, um, yeah, Billy Joel, oh, piano man and the, that verse, but the best of it, I think yeah. when Billy Joel is writing his verse, it's the end of that era. Yeah. And that's when Rob Dibble is just yeah. sinking his teeth in. Right. And, That's exactly right. and sticks with it. In his yeah. interview, he says he didn't like jazz. He doesn't like rock and roll. He thinks the Fender, <laughs> the Fender guitar is the end of American music. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he likes what he calls the American songbook. Yeah. And it wasn't like he didn't play jazz. He did. He grew up 
during that Boogie Woogie era. Yeah. So he knows that stuff. And there were all kinds of stories I've seen. Somebody talked about coming in and asking him for a song, and Rod looked stunned. Uh-huh. And, you know, the guy said, well, you know, never mind. And he said, mm-hmm. And he fumbled around on the keys for a few minutes. And then he found it, and he started to play it. And he played it and sang it. Wow. And he had a tear in his eye. And he told the guy afterwards he had not even thought of that song in 30 years. Wow. Mm. To be at that age where you can pull up a 30-year memory. Yeah. Amazing. Which I think is a good segue to our guest. <laughs> yeah, but, well, you know, uh, Lefty O'Doul's used to have a piano. Right. And that closed. And, and uh, you know, it's just crazy. You know, I you know grew up in the city and, um, and just seeing all these places. You know, not necessarily the people, but all of these places just close and, you know. And and, um, and mostly kind of divey bars, you know. I admit that, you know. But I really, I really miss all of those, uh, those, those, those places. And and I don't know what is it, uh, you know. As they disappear, I guess. Suppose it's telling us one day will disappear too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some of us. Yeah, yeah, some of us. <laughs> There's sort of a um, I don't know, a fatality or a, you know, it's a. Era of long gone by. I mean, I think we all go through it. Every time I go to D.C., I'll be on a bu- on be on a plane tomorrow, mm-hmm. and every time I go to D.C., it changes. You know, there's mm, like a new building, right. or you know, like I remember when I was in in the '80s, there was the uh, Golden Dome and Flippers. You know, the age of video games oh, and the arcades. Uh, right. And that era is gone. You know, um, mm-hmm. I mentioned I don't know, like uh, Dig Dug or mm. Donkey Kong. Millennials or like, Space Invaders. What? <laughs> or Berserk or something like that. Right. And they're like, oh, you well, I, you know, that, is that on PS2 or, you know. Right. <laughs> and forget about it. Uh, so, yeah, you know, it's like, you know, there, I guess every every generation goes through funny. that era. Even yeah. PS2 yeah. is like an old school reference. It is. Oh, my God. Oh, or PS Vita or, you know, or oh, the PlayStation no. you know, or, you know, um, the, the Switch. I guess the Nintendo Switch is the newest thing out right now. Yeah. So, well, I, I think the thing is when you, you know, like uh, I, I hear a lot of people lament, uh, you know, all, you know, Oakland's changed, San Francisco's changed, Every, everywhere, everywhere is changing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, um, we try to preserve uh, perhaps, you know, uh, some national parks, but uh, you know, our government is taking even those right. away from us. So yeah. everything, no, they're giving them back to the people. Oh yeah, yeah the people. right. <laughs> <laughs> The oil company the people. Yeah. 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 They're people too, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. So anyway, but uh, yeah, so, um, but it is, it is sad. You know, I mean, um, there's something about not being able to, to walk around the city old neighborhood where it used to, used to be light traffic and maybe sometimes hardly anyone there. And mm. now it's just packed, you know. Right. And, uh, and, and, you know, places that used to be kind of, uh, you know, on the cheap, you know, whatever, are gone, and, and you know, in its place is, a, is what you call a hipster bar or, or something like that. You know, these, these uh, gentrification of the mm-hmm. of, 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 uh, kind of cool little areas that we used to hang out in. Or, and, and it does affect artists. I mean, artists, mm-hmm. you know, they're getting booted out everywhere. You know, I mean, I think that there's no resolution as far as the you know the ghost ship fire and right. in terms of uh, what that literally means uh, because uh, literally artists are trying to find places to live right yep. to form yep. yeah and and to work to to, right. to paint and make sculptures and and, and it's uh, and dance and, and dance oh, theater, yeah. And, and, yeah and and um, 
and you can go over and over again about it, it, the the continual eviction and uh, you know so so there's a lot to to lament um, on a on a on a large scale with mm -hmm. but also you know in our particular case being artists you know we're seeing you know the just places to even to live to breathe to perform to to, mm -hmm. to sit in a cafe and. Well, some reason there's a lot of cafes, but uh, <laughs> right. yeah, there are. Over and and maybe cafes. that's not bad. We'll see. We'll see. Well, I uh, think it's I funny. I think it's sort of like I think it's because people, n you know, need cafes because they're in their apartments with right. you know six <laughs> other guys, and, and it's like they go to the cafe. You know, yeah. where they it's gonna, funny so they can be alone yeah. uh, amongst <laughs> you know, right. hundreds of people who are also cramped in camp cafes. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's funny because um, I'm hearing. You know, these stories about people and trying to move, and they came up, uh, you know, and they keep coming up with new words, new terminology for stuff. So they tried to coin the term co living. And it's like, you mean roommates? <laughs> right. Co living. Co living. Yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to say um, so the way I met you uh -huh. is um, a mutual friend was a roommate of somebody in the mission, uh -huh. and Richard was doing a reading of a play, G.I. It was called G.I. G.I., and he needed a black actor. Uh -huh. And I had just moved to the city. What, what year is this? 84. Wow. Yeah. And I had just moved to the city. It might have been beginning of 85, but late 84 mm -hmm. or 85. I had just moved to the city, and I was going to not do any more theater, because I'd been in L.A., mm. and I'd been making the rounds, and I just wasn't getting anywhere. And I'd been in school. And I, despite the fact that I was a high-performing student, um, I got cut from a theater program. And I was like, and I went to all my teachers and said, explain to me how I can be high-performing, but you're cutting me. And it was a numbers thing. It was one of those studio programs where, you know, if they start off with 12 students in the first year, then they're going to have eight students in the second year and six students in the graduating year. Just a lot of programs <coughs> do this numbers game. Mm -hmm. And ours, um, my first year, they had taken in two classes, which they'd never done before. Mm -hmm. And the new dean swore that it wasn't going to be a numbers game. But at the end of that year, when they were only able to cut like a dozen or so, and that didn't get them down to the kind of class size that they wanted, mm -hmm. they cut another half dozen. I was in that list, that mm -hmm. pile. So I moved up here feeling burned by that. Um, feeling burned by school. I didn't want to be a bright student. Because when I got, I got out of the Army, I went around trying to get a job. I, couldn't, I could not find a job. You know, mm -hmm. Experience trumps <laughs> having a degree. Mm -hmm. So I was like, screw all that. I moved to San Francisco. I'm not going to worry about trying to pursue theater anymore. I'm not going to worry about school. Nine months later, this friend says, oh, my buddy is looking for a black actor. I just met some guy. I think he might be good for it. So <clears throat> I get hooked up with Richard for this reading. We did it at the 16th Note mm -hmm. on uh, 16th Street in Valencia, mm -hmm. just okay. off of Valencia. Tiny little corner bar mm -hmm. um, that really supported, and at that point it had become kind of a punk black box mm -hmm. you know, of music, um, and they were still supporting the arts, and we were able to go in and do our thing. That's right, and uh, the w we did that day. We were doing a playwright. We were doing a play marathon. We had uh, oh, I don't know. We we planned to go from the morning till the evening, just mm. reading plays mm -hmm. uh, as part of a you know what we used to call the um, mission based artist. We had a s <coughs> small moment in time where we were together, and then uh, and then we actually had another group called um, Lata, which was Latino American theater artists. 
um, which was headed by uh, the late uh, Luis Orpesa. Yeah, yeah. And um, and we, uh, you know, we were doing, we were trying to organize ourselves as Latino actors to produce theater, to try to get uh, people into the, on, on the main stages. We approached Berkeley Rep, for example, and, and made sure that they, you know, they included us in auditioning and things like that, so. It was a. It was a. It was a very. Um, mm-hmm. You know. It was an artist activist time. With what? Um, so this. This is in the eighties. I mean, what was theater like in the eighties? I mean, like right now. Um, I. I really think it. You know, like a lot of people think it was a really, uh, uh, kind of a, a golden age in some ways. Um, you know, you had the um, um, uh, theater companies. Uh, um, my mind here. Who did Angels in America first? Was the oh the uh, Eureka Eureka Theater, and um, and uh, was the Eureka active at that time? Because I know oh, yeah, it was oh, a movie the Eureka theater. wasn't just active. It okay, was, no, before so before they were there, they were on 16th Street. Where were they, they were before on that? They were someplace else, and then they got ah, this gorgeous got little yes. space on 16th, which they built out, and that's where Angels in America was developed. Right, right, and uh, and 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 it was that way. I mean uh, the. Uh, you know, there's a space over the brainwash, another place that just closed. The just closed, yeah. Where all the comics, uh, many comics have, have got their, their start. Um, and then uh, and then uh, the brainwash, and uh, above there, there was a theater. There, w- there was a theater right around the corner that was, uh, oh, gosh, I can't think of the name of that theater. But there was a, another theater right there on 9th Street. And, uh, blah, blah, it was oh, just Venue 9? Venue nine, right? But it was something and before the climate that. and the climate. Climate, that's what I'm thinking. Cli- oh, right, it was the climate, the climate and then the climate either. moved across the street. Right, right, right. And uh, and venue nine took over, and that was also a venue. I mean, Mary Alice still produces. I don't know Mary Alice Fry. Mm. That then, would be somebody good to get on. And yeah. Then, and then we were uh, we were located at the at the Mission <laughs> Cultural Center. The, we were like um, we had uh, well, there was a group at Cap Street Center called. Uh, Teatro Gusto, and then in the the uh, Mission Cultural Center was uh, Teatro Latino, and then uh, later on, after Teatro Latino sort of uh, faded out, at least I wasn't involved in it anymore. We became the uh, Teatro Esperanza was there, um, so it was a very active time, you know. I mean, now the, for teatro, us, the, the Teatro de Esperanza was that Esperanza. Esperanza, sorry about that. That was was that that's the theater that was in the red was, brick. It was in the red brick building. Yeah, just below above uh, Rhino Theater Rhino. Yep. Theater Rhino before they moved, and they yeah, and Theater Rhino, and uh, the lab is there, and uh, and uh, and so we you know during that period of time, um, it was uh, it was the Mission, the South Market. Was buzzing, you know, with yeah. uh, with theater theater projects and people and writing, and, and I was also part of a group called uh, it, um, um, uh, uh, Tailspinners Theater Company, right. which did uh, plays based on all history. So and we so kind of jumped. It was a long mm-hmm. time. Let's go back to origin story. How'd you get the theater bug? What what got you started? Well, I never didn't have it really. Um, you know, it was sort of. Sort of, uh, I was always uh, sort of a class clown. I, you know, right away yeah. when they did. You, you were born and raised here. Yeah, I was born in. Well, I was. I started kindergarten in San Francisco. Uh, my parent. We came from uh, L.A. before that, mm-hmm. and uh, so I've been here my whole life, my whole conscious life, and um, and so just basically, 
and it's very interesting because uh, not very interesting. It's whatever, but this is what happened. Yeah. Uh, I was doing, I was always in every school play, and then uh, basically when I got into high school, uh, that's all I did. And uh, at that time, you know, I had horrible grades, and uh, mm. I just did theater all the time, and uh, we would, uh, I went, ended up going to the Urban School of San Francisco. And you got to go to Urban. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, Urban is like expensive now. Well, when I was there, it was hippie high, baby. Mm. And, uh, yeah, that's another story. But but we were there, and uh, and between, you know, by the time I had finished, I had, I had done so many plays, and we would go to different schools. Like, I did a play at Lick, Wilmerdang, then I would do a play at, uh, you know, we'd do a play at Urban, then I'd go back to my old high school, Jefferson, and we'd do a play there. So I was just, I had just jump out of one, one place to another, and, and basically... Never, ever had that moment in time when, uh, when uh, you know, my parents or some counselor or somebody sat me down and said, uh, "Do you want to do theater or whatever?" I mean, it was, <laughs> a, it was like uh, that's all I did. I lived it. I breathed it. I did it. You but know, your parents didn't I stop you. They were like, "Hey, listen, you need to focus. You need to get a real job or something like Not, that." No, I think later on when I was being produced a little bit in the mission, and, and my father would see my plays, he'd say, "How long are you going to keep doing this?" But that was much later. I mean, I'm like in my 40s by then, you know. Mm -hmm. so. And then, of course, my, uh, um, you know, now I kind of go, well, maybe I should not. Oh, well. Anyway, but uh, but at that, no, I never mm -hmm. really stopped to think about it. I just did lots and lots of it. And it was good. It was good. So what was the first project that you worked on outside of school? Outside of school? Well, um, you know, I went to I went to school. Skyline College for a while, and I was I was working there. Some some great uh, great influences, but getting lousy grades even in theater there. But uh, I've never been an academic. That's one thing I I never really caught. It, so, it sounds like caught. your teaching was more. Yeah. Oh, I thought it turned yeah. it off. Sorry. Yeah. No, I just I just tended to I just tend to uh, to do theater and not uh, not really worry about grades and things like that. Yeah. And then, uh, and then uh, we got out <coughs> of that. I guess you know. Then I was, uh, I was very. I, I'm sort of a political activist. Um, I was uh, doing theater, and I was also student body president. You know, at, at, at uh, and, and very, um, you know, very active in trying to do political work um, on campus and such. So really, what happened was we got. A by the time 1977 came around, uh, I was at San Francisco State, and um, at that time, the students actually hired the faculty for La Raza mm -hmm. studies. And, and you know, we were we were. It was a very interesting time because it was still we were still the revolutionary part of the campus, you know, mm -hmm. the ethnic studies, and we were kind of the last holdouts of ethnic studies, even because uh, La Raza studies at that time, you know, still you know hired their faculty, you know, themselves yeah. every year. And that's when we got Carlos Baron, who yep. was with Teatro Latino. And then basically <laughs> we started Teatro Latino, and, uh, and that's when I started. I, I do have a quick question because I'm from the <coughs> East Coast, so I'm not familiar with sort of the West Coast politics uh -huh. especially. I mean, I've heard about Cesar Chavez mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and sort of his movement, which I think was trying to liberate 
uh, undocumented workers who are working. Yeah. Oh uh, boy, is that wrong? <laughs> sorry for that. No, ed- educate me. He, well, he, he was <laughs> actually what happened was, and it's somewhat of a controversy uh-huh. because uh, he was organizing farm workers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and at a certain point in time, you know, it was like uh, not that he was kicking out undocumented workers, you know, mm-hmm. or anything like that, but. But it was like they were not, uh, they were not, they couldn't organize. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't feel we could, o- they could organize the farm workers and organize undocumented workers. Oh, so, so he was not, he was, he was only trying to organize. He was picking his battles. Yeah, yeah. And he was very successful there. It's, mm-hmm. it's, and it's later on in the 70s. And, and most people don't know this, that there's a, <coughs> there was a pretty big purge. Mm-hmm. Of and there was also a breakaway, you know. There was a Texas farm workers, and so you know, I mean, not that you know, I mean, of course, you know, Cesar Chavez, you know, of course, cared about undocumented workers, but he was organizing the farm workers. Got it. And they were not when they first started, of course. You know, they he he was teaming up with the Filipinos and all the other workers, mm-hmm. which included white and black workers, were in there too. Yeah. Um, you know, so the, the the actual history of it was not. I mean, not not that, but it's. It, you know, I don't know the association there with. Uh, yeah, but ba- are you saying the inference is that he he could have he, he could have expanded? I guess the movement to to for two hundred undocumented workers. I but don't he know didn't. that he, he could he could have expanded. He you, he picked he really did pick his battles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was strategic. It was a strategic thing, yeah. just like just like Martin Luther King. You know, I was right. about to say when King, a, it was a strategic yeah. thing. He, ha- you know, and it did. You know, the the you know, m- there's much more uh, benefit, you yeah. know, coming from that success. Yeah, because when than King, him trying to do something that he yeah. would not. Because when King went to Chicago and started to organize um, oh, yeah. well, black perfect. black workers, yeah. mm-hmm. that pissed off a lot of Southerners, Southern right. blacks, who were like, "Hey, right. wait a minute! You know, we still we're not Southern doing here." Yeah, yeah. exactly. And of course, it pissed off a lot of um, other folks in in the North, like Northern right. racist whites, mm-hmm. who were like, "Hey, wait a minute! Can't you just focus on on that one?" And of course, right. when he focused on Vietnam, mm-hmm. that really pissed a lot of folks off. Yeah. As a matter of fact, that, that uh, uh, and it was interesting because just last year, I guess, uh, Luis Valdez. Mm-hmm. Was was asked that very question about about the undocumented and how Cesar mm-hmm. Chavez was not, mm-hmm. and he you know he just he just put it really plain. I wish I could remember exactly what he said, but basically, you know he he couldn't do everything. Right, right. You can't do everything, and and it, what are you going to do as soon as you get a, a meeting or something together mm-hmm. and you're, you're going, and then half of your group just gets deported. Like wow. that, you know, wow. I mean, you know, yeah. so so you know, it's not that Cesar Chavez was against it. Right. Just strategically, you know, that's time. So this is the backdrop to your getting involved in theater and starting to create a path for yourself. Well, I think I think by the time uh, in '77 when Carlos and I began uh, Teatro Latino, you know, that's about uh, ten or so years of of uh, what they called. Uh, you know, agitprop theater, and, you know, they talk about being on the back. You know, I mean, I saw the mime troupe on the back of a truck. Right. You know, so I go back a bit. But uh, but the um, but at that time, uh, there was also what they called a bigger organization called Tenaz. And Tenaz was uh, Teatro Nacional de Aslan. And um, Tenaz was uh, organizing, every year would organize a, or every other year, a uh, festival. 
And we'd have people from Colombia, we'd have people from Mexico, we'd have people from all over the United States would have an encuentro. And, and we did, in 1980, we did the big uh, encuentro in San Francisco. And, uh, and uh, it was quite big. I mean, um, mm -hmm. you know, we had, we had, I mean, it was a huge. You talk about that, that buzz, you know, that, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. I mean, sure. it, 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 to go back and look at that, um, it, it, was, it was an amazing thing. It's wild because there is all this energy happening mm -hmm. and all this building of energies, mm -hmm. and yet mainstream theater at that point is having trouble acknowledging anything but their own little focus. Oh, yeah, and we, we after that, uh, we eventually, um, we tried to, uh, I shouldn't say try, we did. We went out and, and we're doing uh, street theater. We had a, uh, a play we called the uh, Truly Needy Traveling Show. And uh, we would perform in parks and you mm -hmm. know for different different things and uh, and that that was that was uh, really a, well you know we were Mid trying 70s, we were trying to, we were trying to do we were we were political you know agitprop theater mm -hmm. I mean let's right you know I'm not trying to say <laughs> you know that we were doing whatever Shakespeare if that's the height or whatever but we were out there we were very uh, political and. Uh, and that's what our focus was for quite when a while. When did you start shifting from the acting side to the writing side? Well, I oh, there was always never a time when I was not writing. Um, Even uh, in basically, school, you were writing. Yeah, basically from my freshman year in high school, mm -hmm. um, I, I had a very very good teacher, uh, uh, Jeff Wentworth, um, mm. who was uh, teaching at Jefferson High School. And and he just offhandedly said one day, and if anybody's written anything they want to bring in, you know, and and I brought in two plays, and um, and you know, talk about short short plays, right? Uh, and uh, and sure enough, he produced them, and it was really kind of funny. We did it in a, a nice little. They had a little black box at Jeff, and mm -hmm. and uh, and they did a thing where the English cl classes would all come in and, and watch it. So like oh, basically wow. the whole. <laughs> Whole school <laughs> saw this this play, you know. Wow. In, in that must <laughs> have, I mean, as a as a kid, that must have just really boosted up your confidence. Yeah, yeah, I guess it did. I I, I mean, but again, I I'm, I I have my own my own um, motivation, my own whatever. It's yeah. never come from the outside mm -hmm, uh, yeah. to a great degree. Um, I think um, you know people say they don't listen to critics or whatever like that. I'm, I'm just uh, I just don't have that that part in me yeah you know, i hear you what part that that gets affected by bad criticism or, oh, or okay. negative things yeah. you mm -hmm. know that's a good know. switch to not have yeah <laughs> it's just it's just not, i mean I, i'll keep uh, i keep i yeah. was writing and i just kept writing and, yeah. I, and even though I, I don't get produced but i keep writing i mean i, I have a quick question because mm -hmm. we talked about political theater back in the 80s or, or <laughs> really even the 70s there's so much going on right now, mm -hmm. especially in the Trump administration. And as a matter of fact, I really wanted to have you on. For, I, there's another podcast I have, mm -hmm. sort of dormant now. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm American, too, mm -hmm. focusing mm -hmm. on non-Americans and what they think about America. Mm -hmm. And I would think that there would be an upsurge of Latino theater protesting what's happening in the age of Trump. I mean, you know, we have people – There was a, I saw in the news that there are um, – a judge had allowed a um, – I believe he was an Army veteran – who had been deported mm -hmm. oh, right. back yes. into the United States, right. basically reversing right. uh, a ruling that you know he was so he was deported, mm -hmm. 
I forget who he was. I think he was in the army. Yeah, I, he was. I forget too, but he was military. Yeah, right. And he petitioned to lead, let be let back in, and they finally okay, granted yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess my question is: I mean, if well, why isn't there well, a, a surge? Well, uh, huh. it it it's interesting to me that 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 there is a lot of quote political theater or politically themed theater or politically, uh, you know, I mean, and it is being done, but it's being done. In, Inside, and there's a real question about whether it actually reaches the people, right? Yeah. You know, um, yeah. and uh, the thing about doing street theater or what we were trying to do uh, was trying to get to the people, the, mm -hmm. you know, the people that are not going to theaters, and and really, it, 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 people sort of preach to the choir, as they say. That's yeah. the classic statement, mm -hmm. and 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 you might have done, you know, this incredible. You know, thing about the politics of the day and how you know this is bad and then whatever and and seen a play or whatever and walked away full of for but it's yeah, so the, the, so what at the end do. of the day yeah. you you know you didn't really change anybody I right. mean they came in there with those politics they may be a little more inspired to go on and do something mm -hmm. I don't know but but there's real question about uh, about how we get out of out of the theater and into into you know out to the people i mean and some people just think of it as audience building mm -hmm. when you go to a theater um and you know we see the same people and i wonder when all these older people croak you know what's going to happen to <laughs> you know so, well, you guys have you know you guys are gone but uh yeah. you know i think uh, the you need, is going through that right now yeah well, I, I mean, are, who isn't who yeah. isn't and but they've got new energy you know, you've got to you got to figure, and you got to look at at ticket prices and everything else. You know, it's, it's if you get a ticket at eight, at uh, at Berkeley Rep, you know, say it costs fifty bucks. I don't know, right? You know, and uh, you know, but that what it cost to do that show, you know, had to come in from different funding. Right. You right. know that that seat you're sitting in didn't isn't the fifty the bucks. Ticket, that, yeah. yeah, that's not the ticket price. Didn't pay for it. It's at least twice that you know yeah. at mm -hmm. least twice that right yeah and uh and uh so so theater <laughs> you know it's uh and how do you get out to how do you get it out to the people when it's so expensive i don't know i haven't solved that problem well it's funny because um, <laughs> as you talked about you know your trajectory <coughs> i know that at a certain point you took over tailspinners yes i did and so can you talk about that period forward yeah well basically um or at least we bring us from that period to uh, well. I think Richard the thing Wright. with uh, with uh, with tail spinners uh, because it was an all history company, we were we were we were sort of created our own. We could only exist as a nonprofit because as a profit model, it really had a problem. Every time we would do a play about Native Americans, or we do a play about uh, African Americans, or mm -hmm. <coughs> or you know the guy who built a you know one, you know a workers' play or something. And it would, uh, it, you know, we we target that audience. So every time we were doing a play, we were targeting a different audience, and it was very difficult. You know, I mean, even though we were getting into those communities, mm -hmm. like maybe we do something that was a Filipino community, and we we do everything we could to get the audience, the Filipino audience, to come see this play. You know, uh, and um, over and over again, you know, be like, but but that audience doesn't want to come see the play about. You know, sure. Da, 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 da. And, sure. You know, so we were just constantly uh, just uh, trying to create audiences based on uh, singular events, and it, it was very difficult. And ultimately, 
we left that, and and I was doing I was doing work with uh, with Teatro Esperanza by that point, mm-hmm. and Teatro Esperanza <coughs> was, uh, <coughs> you know, also working up at Life at the Water. You know, we we did a play up there. Rodrigo Duarte Clark, uh, uh, you know, had written several plays. They did a couple of my plays, which I was very appreciative of, and. Uh, I remember and we did paint. Yeah. Oh, paint was uh, was something I wrote, and I yeah. basically self produced or what yeah, right. you know. Uh, but in that space, in that space, I saw yeah. It there, yeah. yeah. And then uh, and then we went to, uh, but 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 that company, you know, uh, was sustaining me, and uh, and we were doing uh, we were traveling all over the country, and and it was uh, it was. It was a we were touring, you know, into '95 or something like mm-hmm. that. You know, we were still we were still on the road, and I had written also a play, uh, a production uh, of, uh, uh, a, you know, a, child, a couple of children's things that oh. were being that were being performed. I did not know this. Yeah, yeah. They, we did a. It was a piece based on the movie Macario, but we called it uh, Macario meets La Muerte. It was a children's version of that. Of that piece, and then, uh, and then we also did a piece, a piece based on the Popovul, the uh, the Aztec um, creation myth, mm. and uh, you know, so we were doing we were doing a lot of lot of yeah. things, you know. But 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 again, you know, the f- the that was the the you know the 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 period of the nonprofit, you know, the nonprofits mm-hmm. really have the medium sized theater, the smaller theaters really took a big hit, and. Part of the reason I guess I'm not working as much is because a lot of theaters I worked with were mm-hmm. no longer exist. Did that happen? Did that fade out happen? Would you say in the '90s? I would say that it was. Yeah. It was. It was definitely by the mid '90s. It was. It was. It was. It was on its way. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking <laughs> the trajectory. Does it crossfade into the age of the internet? You know, because that's when you know people jumped on AOL. There's, yeah. there's yeah. some of that, but I know um, in California, yeah. the California Arts Council got their budget slashed ninety percent, and they yeah. hit in the beginning of the 2000s, yeah. in the, the early 2000s, Bill Clinton. Yeah. It was the age of Clinton, right? Yeah, but yeah. Bill Clinton had no problem with throwing people under the bus. Mm. Yeah. You know. Welfare, whoosh. Oh, yeah, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> you know, um, unions Oof. don't know you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, no, it was bad. And, and it's weird the way it hit theater because, mm-hmm. like you said, a lot of those institutions mm-hmm. that depended on that yeah. kind of funding took a huge hit. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking who the, who the governor was. Was it Pete Wilson? Um, and Pete Wilson and then Gray Davis, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gray, because Gray, and it was funny because – when Gray got pushed out, he it was it was we're in this period where politicians get pushed out for bullshit that they should not be pushed out for. Oh yeah, well I know the Gray Davis and the whole Enron thing. But and, Gray Davis, yeah. uh, we had a series of power outages in California, right. oh, yeah. and oh, then yeah. it was and then it was uncovered that these people were talking in their corporate boardrooms. That's right, high fiving themselves thing. Yeah. over it, and yeah. that's what took him down, which really had nothing to do with him. Right. But the fact was, as a steward of the public trust, yeah, he was not looking out for yeah. us. Oh, he was, he was so corporate all the way. I mean, he spent all this time raising money for his next but campaign. He right, but he didn't know what they were doing. It wasn't like he green-lighted exactly. them. Exactly. But he yeah. was not watching as the fox got in the hen house. Yeah. And so we said, this oh, the, we'll go with anybody else. Yeah, this is the deregulation of energy. This happened yeah. in the 2000s. But I think the trajectory is earlier well, than that, right? Well, 
Well, yeah. Well, the tra- trajectory is, you know, and 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 you could just look at uh, like the way in which our our communities are. Uh, you know, it, it, it's ironic that there isn't more theater, given that there's so much wealth in you know That's right. this area. Yeah, it's uh, or or that theater isn't properly funded. Uh, in this area, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there, there, are, you know, of course, there are a lot of small theaters that, you know, basically become, yeah. you know, volunteer efforts, um, right? And uh, and so that that there's a, you know, when you when you think about how do you get theater to the people, or where's the funding for theater, or why can't we, you know, I, I mean, it's a it's a big question. I yeah. mean, when a theater company in San Jose. You know, closes. I think it was San Jose. San Jose Ray, Ray. Yeah, closes. You think. Well, obviously, but that was mismanagement. Well, okay, but whatever. But the point I'm making too is, is that these companies are sitting mm-hmm. in the you know the wealthiest whatever. Right. And obviously, the people that Community, have the yeah. the Cisco's and the blah blah right, and the sure, whatever right, the sure. Zimmermans. Google, Facebook, they don't they don't think well. We gotta we gotta make sure that you know that we we're we're supporting the arts. I don't think they think. I, I don't like think that they. Care. I don't, I don't think they give a damn. You know. No. You know, really don't. Well, <coughs> nobody is reaching out to them. I mean, it really is a backwards-forwards thing because you talk about theater mm-hmm. on the back of trucks, mm-hmm. and then the mime troupe for the last couple of years that I'm aware of has been sort of grumbling that they haven't gotten funded. Well, under Obama, that was this minor grumble, mm-hmm. but Trump comes in and then Breitbart picks up the story of their show this summer and and publicizes it nationally. Mm-hmm. So they point to that, and I hated. I think it's disingenuous to do a radio interview where you say, oh, we love the NEA and everybody should support the NEA and the NEA is great and we don't think they didn't fund us because of Breitbart. But now, but use it in all your publicity all summer that Breitbart was there and that Breitbart was specifically making noise about them getting federal funding. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're smart enough to recognize that there's not a direct connection between those things. But the fact that you're doing the same sort of publicity that Breitbart did mm-hmm. to try and set up dots and then say, oh, we're not connecting these dots, but we set these dots up. You know, it's we're in this bizarre period. I think the day and age of federal funding, especially in the age of Trump, I mean, you might as well just have a cup in your hand like a bum <laughs> on the street. Can you spare some change? And no one's going no to give a damn. I mean, I think yeah. and oh, you're right yeah. when you talk about people not going to these corporate entities which exist and these are just young right. millennials right. who have money like I you know like I work at the DA's office a couple of blocks away there's Zynga right and there's uh, Adobe right someone knock on their door and say hey can you just add, just give a little bit of money to you know a theater company there are some but this is when Richard talks about that middle group of theaters those yeah. mid-sized theaters yeah. if they haven't jumped on those mm-hmm then, yeah, they're missing out because there are small companies. And I, I hope that I actually made a little note for next week, next yeah. podcast, um, to spend some time talking about these new companies mm-hmm. because some of them are making those connections in the same way that these – you know, I didn't know the Magic Theater started off in the East Bay. Mm. It was in 8th Street Studios. Mm. It started off in the East Bay. I didn't know that uh, Berkeley Rep started off on college. And, you know, and then was able to get things together. When you get to a certain size, you not only need to hold on to the funding sources you have, you mm-hmm. really do need to keep opening that lens. And I think the point that you keep coming back to, Richard, mm-hmm. which is 
how do you get your message out to the people? Don't just go to the choir. Don't just preach to the choir. Right. How do you get your message out to the people? Yeah. Exactly. And also the objective, there are a lot, the objective, like if you had a theater company, your objective would be to get a message, even a message that they don't want to hear mm-hmm. to the people because they need to hear it. Right. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, there are a lot of theater companies that are like, hey, listen, they want sugar. Let's give them sugar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> They, they want, you know, Oklahoma, give them Oklahoma. We don't care. We just well, want they, we just, they we need the money. They say that, and yeah. to some extent that's true. But, like, the DMT, every artist that we've talked to that mm-hmm. knows the Douglas Morrison Theater in Hayward yeah. speaks about it in glowing terms. Yeah. That's under Susan. Right. And Susan Who's not there Evans, anymore. Yeah. And she was expanding the programming. Right. Which the community did not get behind, even if they were putting butts in seats. Right. There was, there was a shock factor that was keeping people from right. vocally coming out and really supporting yeah. that. And so when the political winds shifted, there was nobody there to stand up because mm-hmm. that's what's happening now. In this era of Trump, yeah. mm-hmm. every time the federal government tries to do some craziness and we all step up, and I just signed up for one mm-hmm. that says that if Mueller, gets, if Mueller gets fired, the day Mueller gets fired, yeah. I will get an email telling me if it's before 2 p.m. at 5 o'clock, I'm to go downtown. Hmm. If it's after 2 p.m. the next morning, I'm to go downtown mm-hmm. so that the we have this immediate reaction mm-hmm. to that. And we've mm-hmm. been doing that in this era of Trump, yeah. and it's had an effect. Yeah. So in terms of supportive theaters and those mm-hmm. mid-sized theaters, if they're not reaching out to their populace and if not reaching beyond that populace, mm-hmm. then, yes, they're not pulling yeah. the people in. So right, when you say right, you're right. going to go downtown, what, to protest? Yes, to okay. Well, to show up, because my version of protest is I really don't – I'm not going to make a sign. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to march. Yeah. I, if I do, I have marched. Yeah. But it's almost been accidental. Yeah. I'm going to bear witness. Yeah. Actually, the first thing I went to was Occupy in recent right. years. The first right. thing I went to was Occupy, and I did not go to be a part of Occupy. Yeah. I went to bear witness. Yeah. I planned on standing on the sidewalk, and now I would know I would actually have my phone out yep. and be videotaping. Yep. But yep. back then, I didn't know that. I yeah. just wanted to be there to see for myself. Right. I didn't want the evening news to tell me what happened. Right. I wanted to see it for myself. Yeah. These are the places where – and there are small mm-hmm. companies mm-hmm. that are starting to try to fill that vacuum. But you're right. right. Nobody's thinking about funding them. They don't have the wherewithal to ask for the funding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do think the money is coming back. I do think the corporations are ready to step up. Mm. You've got to reach out to them, and very few people are doing it. Yeah, well, well, that's uh, it's a difficult thing, you know, to to sit down and, uh, you know, somebody was uh, my face, one of my Facebook friends was saying, uh, gee, it's you know, it's so hard to write a grant, blah blah blah, and mm-hmm. how do you do that? And I'm like, uh, you know, I'm like, I don't know, date 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 a grant writer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but you're absolutely right. I mean, there's so many creative people Hire who know me, how to David. create. I'll do it. I'll write. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they know how to create. Uh-huh. But they haven't figured out the finance exactly. part, right. portion of it. Exactly. So and that's, yeah, that's a balancing yeah. act. Yeah. And then, and then on top of that, we we basically all trained in the uh, in the uh, not for profit model. You know, so it's very hard for uh, you know. It's not like there's this other uh, for profit model. Yeah. That right. people people are very used to and walk into and mm-hmm. and understand that because uh, because it's just so expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To do theater. Here's a question for you, Richard. What's what? What is a play? Because you've written a bunch of plays. I think uh, what mm-hmm. thirty, forty. I mean, how many plays have you written? Let's let's say at least thirty. Yeah. Okay. What is the one play that uh, I guess you're most proud of? I mean, it plays are like oh, your children. So, a, which which most proud? That's your really, proud that's most proud a, child. I, I, you know, the dream before the dream. <laughs> <laughs> the dream. 
Well, I, I am very proud of, of Before the Dream, you know, but, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was, uh, well, that's an amazing, amazing project. I mean, because just from the process point of view, from the writing point of view, mm -hmm. from the research point of view, uh, you know, it was uh, two years, you know, of, right. of working with yeah. this man over here and you. Well, and you this know, is and the and project, yeah. full disclosure, that brought us all together. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And, uh, you know, so it was a very, uh, very, uh, it was an important, uh, it, it was just, it was just, uh, it just had, it had more development than any, in most of my work. Wow. And I think and, that. And the poster's right there. And the poster's right there. Yeah. And, uh, no, I, I and, but the thing is, I think that, uh, that a lot of my work, um, you know, I, it, if it doesn't, you know, because of the what they call the new play itis, you know, uh, mm -hmm. where you know, I I think that I was uh, to some degree, I don't want to say victim, but but I suffered. Let me put it that way: my work suffered because I think a lot of things went up in basically a first draft um, of a play, you know, without any real development. And I think there's a there was a lot of that for me, and and it's very difficult. And I think that development, uh, y and you know, it's sort of funny because you can write a play. But at some point, it's like it's just going to sit there because unless somebody breathes life into it, starts reading it, starts to develop it, sure. you know, puts it on its feet. Yeah. You know, um, you know when we, we used to watch those uh, movies about, uh, you know, where people would take take a show around before it opened in New York mm -hmm. and, right. and all that kind of, you know, this whole idea of development. And I and uh, and so um <coughs> I think it it was uh, because of you know Norman's uh, Norman's very creative effort uh, that it got it got developed. I think most of the other stuff uh, that got developed uh, was like the kids stuff that just got done a lot. Yeah. And uh, and my other plays, I think um, you know they're they're more or less like uh, they're like what I used to have a playwright mentor uh, Emilio Caballido who used to say that's a good plan. Mm. He didn't call it a you know like he would write a play and he said well that's a that's a good plan yeah. in other words yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. just let's all do this you yeah. know let's get yeah. up on stage and we're all you know mm -hmm. uh, whatever and then come up and we said it's a good plan yeah and so I think right now you know I would say I have all of these plans mm -hmm. you know uh, but uh, but they're like architectural plans without a, a building you know so that you know and, and it would be interesting to to take almost you know any of them. Um, Certainly, the uh, the uh, the work that uh, that took the most research, whatever uh, you know, the historical plays, I'm very proud of because I think they're uh, you know I try to I try to capture a time. I try to you know uh, I believe it was um, Amiri Baraka who said uh, you Ray know Baraka, who, yeah. wrote, who wrote formerly uh, Roy Jones, formerly mm -hmm. Leroy Jones, who wrote uh, the Dutchman, Dutch but he, Dutch also, yeah. he also wrote um, wrote a play called um, um, uh, A Motion of History. Which uh, was I was very inspired by mm. when we were doing uh, uh, the Richard Wright project. You know, that's always a play and concept that has always been in my mind. That uh, that uh, that to write, you know, that he was trying to say something about history, but that history, um, you know, not, uh, it, it, it's it exists in a in a in a in a way that. Uh, that most people don't appreciate what Marx called the secret history of the people, and and so he's writing a, a play that has has at its, uh, um, you know, uh, 
the motivation for the play, the 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 underpinnings of the play are really the 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 um, the material, the dialectic of that time, the the real history, the what what was what was making these things happen, and um, and so he he was. I think he had a really great idea. I think it it led me to write a lot of plays that are are larger, you know, really huge and yeah. a little bit clumsy and clunky. I'm not yeah. kidding. But well, the scope is scope is great. Yeah, the scope becomes great, and it starts mm. to become this thing, and um, and that's that's why I invented that saying. You know, uh, you know, don't let the history get in the way of your play, and don't let your play get in the way of the history. Hmm. You know, so it's it's just it's a very difficult it's a very difficult uh, project to take on. I've taken them on. I think uh, I think some people have uh, had s- definite problems with uh, with with my work, and uh, I'm, I'm you know, so I'm I'm proud that I I took it on. You know. Yeah, I mean, it, it inspired me, you mm-hmm. know, to write. It sort of kicked me off my butt and saying, hey, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Before the Dream is, you know, a wonderful experience that mm-hmm. I had as an actor. Mm-hmm. And um, and I've even given you a first draft of, you know, something that I, mm-hmm. I wrote. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were very – and I remember you were saying, don't let the history get in the way. Uh-huh. Yeah. So <laughs> that was very, very yeah, inspiring. I mean, why can't, it, why can't it be, you know, like at the end of the day uh, – the story of Richard Wright, the one that we told, you know, had to be mm-hmm. about just the writer, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, a black writer, and 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 you know, and mm-hmm. then and then it had to exist as a play. Yes, mm-hmm. um, that's and that's not so easy, you know, because uh, because as you succeed, uh, there are people who come and say, "Well, you forgot that part about." You know, his oh, wife was people this always or do that, the yeah. daughter. Yeah, they're always going to try to find when Selma when Selma came out. Oh yeah, people had all well, sure. kinds of critiques of yeah. it. And what was interesting to me, most interesting to me in Selma was the King Estate would not allow them to use his speeches. Mm. So she had to write, yeah, create. Yeah. King Martin Luther King's well, speeches. Which is a shame. Which is it's a real, real shame. Well, it, except that if you see the movie, those yeah. speeches are great. They're powerful. Sure, sure. And they speak more to us yeah. than I think the historical ones. We all have the historicals in, in tape in our brains. Yeah. But I want to point out also that um, the most recent one I've gotten to work on is the Entertaining Journey. I think that's a fascinating piece, and to to know that it's inspired by Somerset Maugham, right? Yeah. Um, but inspired by Somerset Mom, who is then inspired by a Spanish writer, mm-hmm. um, just gives it this historical depth that is gorgeous. And you don't need to know that at all to enjoy mm-hmm. the play. Mm-hmm. But when you do, it just takes it to another level. Wow. Yeah, that was about five years. It has not yet been produced. Okay. Um, we've been workshopping it. I've been I've been showing it around because okay. I I love the piece. I think it's gorgeous, mm-hmm. and I would love to see it go up. And the horrible thing is that during the reading process, which I'm always there for and always available to do, uh-huh. but I am so not the guy to be mangling Spanish. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I'm just not that guy. Yeah. Um, and so, but what I love is the play is completely accessible. It's just that um, in the playground that I just did. A Filipina wrote a piece, mm-hmm. and she found out before it got done. She found out that they had cast it with Japanese American mm-hmm. actors, you know, and I think she I heard was about that. furious yeah. about it. Yeah, and, well, she was polite about it, but she made it clear that that wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. And so every time Richard cast me in a piece like that, I'm like, dude, 
so I hope you turn your ears off as I mangle the Spanish <laughs> because I am in no way making sense of this or giving it what it deserves. Yeah. But it's just gorgeous to know that that's... I would love to see it on. And I'll tell you, I don't... I mean, I see, I hear about black theater all the time. hear about mm. Philippine theater all mm. the time. Bendel Stiff and mm-hmm. the works of Jeannie Baroga. 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 And yeah. uh, Conrad Panganaban. Yes. And, and there are others. And, of course, we hear about... Uh, I've even heard... Um, you know, of course, gay lesbian theater and whatever. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of Latino theater, especially in this day and age. Well, yeah, it's it's, it's very difficult to you know, like I said, when when the companies, you know, mm-hmm. disappear. You know, there's no no real even even if even if um, even if and they the don't produce barely it, touched it, <clears throat> like with uh, the exception of maybe the magic. Yeah, with the when Teatro uh, Esperanza was around, they had a, a summer playwright workshop thing they were doing work on five plays every year mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know uh one of the plays um um oh, what is it called um uh real women have curves oh yeah, yeah. You know, went went on to become a film become a film and, yeah. and mm-hmm. really and and it you know so the, you know we're but the, it, but it was a catalyst nonetheless whether yeah. or not they you know they they produced that work or whatever sheree barag uh not sheree baraga sheree uh baraga no um Sri Moraga, yeah, was was one of the writers. You know, again, you know, so so it was a catalyst for people to bring their work mm-hmm. and st- and work on it, and and it doesn't exist. <laughs> you know, right? You know, there's a, there's a way in which when there's no funding, that things dry on the vine. You know, they yeah. you know, it's not just the production itself. It's right. It's process. It's development. It's it's well, it's the commitment of those artists too <coughs> yeah. to support and nurture that to yeah. get your ego out of the way and make a space yeah. for somebody but, else. But are there are there Latino, are there Latino writers? I mean, are there? Do you? Are <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That's a good question. No, it is a good because question. because I don't hear. Yeah, no, it's a good question, and uh, and 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 uh, I think again, you know, um, talking about the the new playitis and and the way it is, I, uh, you know, there's. There's exactly five playwrights, you know, in the United States altogether. You know, I mean, there's some play, you Who know, you're being almost, produced. yeah, yeah. The, 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 there are so many players. I, sometimes I, I really, when I was doing my workshop with Gary, who we mm-hmm. talked about earlier today, you know, uh, it was interesting because I liked all of the plays. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. okay, where where are we all going to do eight? You know, we got eight plays here. What, what are we going to do? Right. He has a morning workshop. They're doing another eight plays. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. maybe they're all pretty good too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or maybe at least they're good plans. Yeah. You know, so 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 there's a lot of playwrights, and I think that uh, you know, there's a. <clears throat> I don't. I don't know that. Uh, I, you know, I mean, I I I really don't understand the. How to get it? How to get your work out there produced? It's a lot to produce sure, a play. Sure, sure. You know, yeah, so it's, it's definitely so a whole. Yeah. That's sure. a whole conversation yeah. in and of itself. I'm sure there are tons of Latino players. I just don't hear of them because, right. yeah, they're not being produced for the yeah. most part. Yeah, they just aren't. Yeah, I mean, um, I, don't, I don't even know if we have any companies. I mean, Taylor uh, Esperanza. That it, when did when did they fold? It, well, it's interesting. Companies. It's interesting that let's say let's let's put it the mm-hmm. fact that you say well, you don't know any. Or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. no, you're being whatever. But the point is, is that uh, that let's say, for example, a company such as ACT. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In in let's see, sixty to seventy, you know, fifty. Who knows? Almost fifty years. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
the amount of 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 uh, Latin, local Latin, or you right. know, California born, or mm-hmm. you know, like um, very, 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 very. If not, I, I can't even think of anything that hit the main stage. Wow! Yeah, you know, in fifty I kn- years. Yeah, I'm and, I, sure and I know that yeah. I know that there, and there's people that have come through, like uh, you know Octavio Solis, you know mm-hmm. who who uh, culture, you clash. Know, culture clash, you know what well, culture? Yeah, well, culture clash made it to the Berkeley stage quite often. Right, right. right. I, 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 that's that's yeah. why. I think <coughs> yeah, but they but they uh, but they don't. Um, <coughs> they somehow manage not to have, not to be able to find. Uh, Chicano, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to say Chicano, you know, uh, not even just uh, or, or notice that we're right next to a country called Mexico, which has, right. you know, m- Mexican playwrights and, mm-hmm. you know, right. they're, they're, they are many. And mm-hmm. and so uh, the, and then there's the whole Latin, you know, the Latino world of, of right. South America, which also each country has its own right cultural and playwrights and stuff right. mm-hmm. but somehow none of them have ever gotten over there yeah mm-hmm. you know and it's 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 just uh, we're invi- you know we're the invisible man ralph ellison you oh, know? yeah, yeah <laughs> invisible much, man. which is very strange yeah, because no. um i mean the, I'm, there is a large latino community mm-hmm. here yeah. in the bay right yeah not and very very diverse yeah so you know it's and i'm sure latinos come to the theater yeah. well <laughs> Well, you know, they'll come see, they will come see Culture Clash, you know, because yeah. they've heard of it and it's comedy and it's and yeah. very accessible. You know, not to be a Pollyanna about this, but let's acknowledge that somebody like you mm-hmm. is still out there still doing it. So mm-hmm. it's not like it's non-existent. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's ripe for getting the word out and finding mm-hmm. a way to mm-hmm. better showcase. Yeah. yeah. And hopefully for somebody to figure out how to make some money on it, that you know, those things are connected. Yeah. Which is all always Gordian knot. You know, <laughs> everyone's, everyone's trying to figure that out. It's it's there's there are there are a number of uh, conundrums that we have not well been able to mm-hmm. figure out. Oh yeah. yeah, they're always there. Um I wanna I know we should we should think about wrapping up soon, but mm-hmm. um I'm not gonna out you, but I know a birthday is coming up. So That's as you true. look at the world from that place of what's been going on and where you've been and where you're going you know, is there anything that you can share as a theater artist who's gotten to that place? Well, well, I think that uh, that I um, I would really, <laughs> you know, uh, like to uh, to to transform myself a little bit. To to I always imagined. I'll tell you from the time I I would write and write notebooks and write in journals and such as that. You know, I always think well. You know, maybe I will come to a place in my life when I really have no idea what I'm going to write about. Mm. But I can always go back and see what's what's in the archives. I can go back and look. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I really, you know, I've already <laughs> – you know, that's my retirement plan. If I, if I really get a chance to just, just uh, kick back and do some writing, you know, I don't feel like I'll have any – any lack of things, and like I say, I've got a lot of uh, <coughs> stuff that could be re- rewritten. So, you know, I don't, I don't really ever feel like, wow, you know. I mean, the idea when somebody says something like, uh, "Wow, I've got writer's cramp," you know, mm-hmm. it's it, it, that's a, something that doesn't 
Oh, writer's block. Writer's block, yeah. Writer's cramp. Huh. I invented one. Yeah. I've got writer's cramp. No, writer's cramp is yeah. physically <laughs> right. Yeah. Have you ever thought about publishing? And there was something I asked Scott Munson or, or another playwright just to have a book that has your stuff. Well, well I'm thinking before, if, I, you know. if I could get my stuff into some kind of shape that I like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would probably uh, want to get it into the cloud. You know, and and make it available. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know that I would necessarily, uh, you know, take the another step. Uh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to uh, to have it in some sort of hard copy kind of thing. Um, you know, someone said to me one time, "Well, do you know, do you copyright your stuff or whatever?" And I was like, "You mean like, you mean somebody would take my play and produce it?" Hey, I'll buy a ticket. I'll be in the first row. Right. Uh, you know, take it, you know. So, you know. Uh, Imagine 50 years in the future, 100 years in the future, someone's like, hey, there's a playwright, Richard Talavera. Let's do one of his plays. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Uh, well, I think I, I don't. You probably won't be there, but. Yeah, no, oh. I, I, I'm, I don't worry about that part at we'll, all. We'll put, your, we'll put your ashes in the press <laughs> and that part at room. all. But, I mean, this is a wonderful yeah. thing to think that, you know, your work can exist. You know, long before. I really, you know, that to me that is also, you know, I'm not, uh, like I say, I'm not, and that's something that doesn't uh, occur to me. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of funny because, you know, uh, I say, well, you know, me and Shakespeare have that in common. You know, most of his plays don't get done. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, some get done, of mm-hmm. course, a lot, but, mm-hmm. but most of them don't Somebody's get done. Somebody's going to do all's well that <laughs> ends well, and I'm like. Yeah, that's what I heard. Why? <laughs> that, it's, wow. You know, well, there have been a couple of productions of Titus Andronicus. I like Titus, though. Well, because but that's Titus that's is Grand Guignol. Yeah. So yeah. it's a specific yeah. style of theater. Yeah. But All's Well That Ends Well is just a theater that in our current climate, I can't imagine how you're going to get to that ending, yeah. a near rape. And have the audience go, oh, wow, that was a good plan. <laughs> it ended happily. Yay. Yeah. Well, well, all I'm saying is it's just, uh, no, I don't I don't worry about that kind of thing. Uh, mm. Post, if once I'm dead, I'm not, I'm really, as far as I'm concerned, no, mm. I don't really. I'm not leaving. There's nothing, mm-hmm. there's not going to be anything in there that's going to, uh, uh, the, the one thing I would say is that it, it is, is that the conceptually, um, if you if you take uh, if you take uh, the plays, you know from uh, from you know fog, which I give you a copy. If you mm-hmm. take yeah, if you I take my play about Sorwana uh, um, um, Inés de la Cruz, if you take the play about, I, I will say this is that is is that in every play, uh, I. I want to expand the definition of, you know, what it is to be a Chicano. Yeah. What is be to mm. be? In other words, I you know it's like it's like just to expand it. Mm-hmm. You know, just mm-hmm. just so that you don't have because it seems to me that there's a that uh, that when you look at something like um, Sor Juan Inés de la Cruz, I, I mean it's it's very important. You know, a lot of people look at the Mexican history from Columbus, yep, to you know the revolution and, right. and uh, Zapata, yeah, right, you know, and and there's 500, 400 years in there, yeah, you know, and that for you know so mm-hmm. so it was very important for me to 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 write something about Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz, and um, and uh, and say 
this is we're you know th- we're this too you know nice. this nice. this this new Spain thing is is mm-hmm. is important uh, right or when we write about the the Californios mm-hmm. you know or when we write about uh, you know so I take things that are not I won't say unknown mm-hmm. but things that are uh, less known or yeah. a little le- you know not as uh, prominent. Yeah, you know, as my, as my grandmother would say, there's there's a little chicken in the bone. You know, <laughs> like I would I would eat chicken, and I'll be like, okay, I'm done. It's like, no, 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 there's still something. So you know, we see these stories, and it's like, okay, well, that's it. No, mm-hmm. no, 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 there's still yeah. like I was reading about um, about Texas, about yeah. how uh, and and uh, the history of I think it was Santa Ana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, so basically, and there's this infighting between the Mexicans who. Uh, who favor Spain right. and those who want independence. And then there right. are those who are influenced by Southern Americans right. who are trying to take over. And right. you have this infighting. And it's really interesting. It happens between, I think, uh, 1820 mm-hmm. to around 1840, it, yeah. uh, the Mexican War. And it's, it's interesting, you know, just, you know, so there's a lot of Mexican history mm-hmm. that is that is just untouched. Yes, exactly. exactly. Yeah. A lot of history, period. Yeah, you know. yeah. Yeah, it's more like the bone and there's all this meat that we're ignoring. <laughs> right. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying. You get all kinds of stuff. Yeah. yeah. But, the, but the thing is to try to, uh, you know, what we're trying to do is is, is, is give it that motion of history to, to, to put that real, the real people on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To make it, make the story more than just a, you know, um, I mean, to make it a story. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, uh, that's a, it's not so easy when you're trying to tell the story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, well, huge, big story. You just when you talk tell about one story to tell. When you talk about uh, the entertaining journey, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, <clears throat> we did. Well, I did. You know, I had to research. Uh, you know, Agustin uh, de Rojas, and and uh, and most of his writing has never been translated mm, into right. English. And I gave it to my friend. Uh, um. Um, Ruben. Ruben Castro Ilisalituri, and he he said, "I don't know what they're saying." You know, he was reading it in Spanish, but <laughs> <laughs> it'd be like, you know, I mean, he kind of. So he did translate. Yeah. But, uh, but the point is, is that it's written in, you know, s- a- you know antiquated, antiquated, and antiquated yeah. Spanish. Oh, interesting. You know? interesting. Yeah. So, so it's it's not even a question of you can just. Even if you and before there was any kind of regular rate, you know, um, reg- I, I, f- I always hate, I, I never know the term for right. it. Yeah. For a, um, a st- the standard of writing. Sta- uh, standardization yeah. of grammar and sure. and publishing, printing. Yeah. You know, before all that, this is all longhand yeah. that eventually got translated. Yeah. 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 No, this is a weird, weird so it's, period. It's, it's not just, you know, you just don't go to the library. Yeah. You've got to figure out how you're going to mm-hmm. read Right. Mm. You know, this man's writing. Yeah. So we go from I the 1500s to the 21st century. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Yeah. And you're, I mean, I can tell you have a history, you have a thirst for research, mm-hmm. not just writing, but, you know, research. And that's, I won't say it's a rare thing, but, you know, in the age of, well, let me just ask Google mm-hmm. and, or, you know, ask Siri or whatever. Well, that's changed things. Yeah. That's changed things. Yeah. I mean, even, even my own, my own life I've seen on, <laughs> you know, I'm not talking about just googling me, but yeah. but things that I remember or places that I grew up in, or yeah. or what was the name of that that bar? What was the name of that <laughs> whatever? Sure. Oh, right. You know, like I can look at it. I can be in. Mm-hmm. I can be Sometimes. in Portugal, and I can mm-hmm. read about you know Rod, you know, in right. in Oakland, and right. It's, 
I didn't grow up with all that. Mm. Yeah. Right. No, it's, no, it's, it's, it's yeah, the world, the world's era. gotten smaller, I mm. mean, as far as just having access and all that stuff. So, um, you know, before we get into shout-outs or whatever, I just want to say thank you because you really inspired me as far as a writer. Um, and, you know, just uh, it's it's cool when uh, when artists sort of, you know, inspire other artists and mm-hmm. inspire other artists. And, you know, you have this sort of mm-hmm. nice little change. And it gets into the community of theater. Right. And uh, so I think it's, it's really, really cool. And you had given me one advice because I had written 40 Men in Paris. And you were like, you know, the real story is Richard and Ellen. That's the real meat of it. And in the playwriting class, I did write a piece just on on, Richard and Ellen, just the family. So, um, I'd like to see it. Absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll shoot it out to you. Shout outs. When when is your birthday? Oh, January 17th. So it's, it's, it's down the road. It's coming down the road. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, good. good, It just happens to be another important day in my life. So, Mm -hmm. well, you might like, you might like that. My anniversary. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so shout out. Um, well, I'll start with birthdays. Yes. Uh, Stephen Anthony Jones, who is retired finally from mm-hmm. the uh, Lorraine Hansberry Theater, and the interim is um, Aldo Billingsley. Uh, Ron Mesa, a, an amazing musical theater actor. Mm-hmm. He's down in L.A. I don't know what he's doing anymore, but uh, we went to college together. Uh, Damian Brown, on the other end of the spectrum, if you haven't heard that name, you will hear it. Uh, Damien um, came out of, I believe, San Quentin, came out of a Shakespeare program through Marin Shakes, got to play, I think it was Othello on their stage, has been working around in the scene. He's in uh, Participants right now at Theater First. Um, amazing. Um, Aquanetta Summers, who we all wow, know. yeah. Yeah, her birthday's coming up this week. Um, she was in uh, Richard Wright, uh, Before the Dream, The yeah. Mysterious Life and Death of Richard Wright. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so her birthday's coming up. Laura Nichols, um, Canadian. She was the one who helped me to understand, broaden my understanding of what it is to be black. Because in America, you think black just encompasses it all. Right. And then African-American, which just feels like a weird political term. Yeah. She is Canadian. Uh-huh. She is Afro-Canadian. Afro-Canadian yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went, went whoa. Patsy Egan um, is a writer, and she really fell in love with us during Before the Dream. So it's wonderful that Richard is here this week because cool. Patsy was the one. In fact, Richard and I went and met with her and had a wonderful interview. Mm-hmm. Um, Kai Balbuena um, is a local actor who um, helped us develop the Wind in the Willows project with Oakland Public Theater. Cool. Um, and we've been in communication recently. I, if I can find somebody else to co-produce, we will bring that back. I really want to. And if so, Kai, mm-hmm. i got to have Kai. <laughs> um, Eric Hayashi uh, was the artistic director of the Asian American Theater Company. Yeah. Um, when I got my first job, it was with my first professional gig off campus out of school, was um, performed at the Asian American Theater Company. Nice. And Eric brought us in, was very supportive. Mm-hmm. Um just amazing vision. The mm-hmm. man had an amazing vision. Yeah. And as always, you're trying to balance the realities of finance and artistry and, you know, just day-to-day activity. And Eric was amazing at that. Mm-hmm. John Winter, who is now my boss. Okay. Because that's who um, is the co- The head of um, Ubuntu, right? Uh, no, word for word. Word for word, okay. Um, so the uh, the Lucia Berlin stories that I'll be doing, that's, mm-hmm. that's coming up. Uh, and Jordan Weiner who's a local, uh, he teaches uh, theater at Berkeley High, mm-hmm. and he is, um, mm-hmm. 
Uh, he um, is also a wonderful actor, performer, and he has a um, Zamboni, I think it is, the great Zamboni, okay. who does one of those shticks where he's like predicting things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, a yeah, com- yeah. It's totally a comic shtick. Yeah. It's very fun. Um, but those are the birthdays. Uh, yeah. Oh, wait, I have one more. And David Fissel, <coughs> um, an old friend, high school, um, you know, uh, not a mentor, a hero, um, somebody who I looked up to as we did theater back way back in the day. Right on. So happy birthday to you all. Yep. And if you've got projects or things coming up, let us know. Yeah. We'll, we'll give a shout out. For I've, it. I've got a few birthdays. Um, Adam Simpson. His birthday is on the 24th. We had him, or at least I had him on the yay. Oh. He's a, a young actor who has uh, been on stage for Off-Broadway West, uh, The Harders. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Daisy Nesky, who is the wife of Craig Dickerson. Uh, she does uh, costume work for a bunch of theater companies. As, um, I think she's doing a lot of work for ACT. Uh, she did a lot of costume work for uh, the Douglas Morrison Theater, so her birthday is on the 28th. Mm. Uh, as well as Aquanetta Summers. We talked about her. Yeah. Amanda Clemens, a young actress. She's only 22 years old. She's a millennial. I was on stage with her. I believe we did 110 in the Shade. Oh. And her birthday is on the 28th. And that's it. That's all I have. Ah. <laughs> well, and then the shows, you know, we're in that dark period for theater, so there's yeah. not a lot. Theater First Participants is still going, and, you know, check it out. It's um, – Everything that I've heard about it just makes it sound really incredible. Uh, and then the Black Rider at Shotguns Players um, is going, and Elizabeth Carter is in that. So mm-hmm. I want to. I'm going to hit her up and see if she can give me a ticket. But you know, <laughs> I, one way or the other, I want to get there and make sure I see it. Yeah, um, I think we did. We talk about theater first. Um, participants. Yeah, participants. Uh, yeah, just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. I was uh, no, reading okay. about it. Yeah, Kari Moy is going to be in that. So. Oh, is he? Nice. So that's going to be cool. Yeah, that's pretty much all I have. Everyone is uh, going away. As a matter of fact, tomorrow I'll be jumping on a plane, and uh, that's it. So we'll wish everyone a – We'll, you know, in our next show, we'll we'll do the uh, end of the year. So we'll talk about – We'll try to round up what 2017 was and And the future of – What it is, where we're going, yeah. Right, exactly. Richard, did you have fun? Yeah, that was really interesting. It was nice to uh, have my brain examined a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we like your you, brain. You'll be online and you know tell your friends about uh, you know the yay and get people. Do you do you listen to podcasts at all? No, no, I. I which I is don't. funny because he sits in his office. If you're watching TV, you may as well just pull up a podcast that you're interested in. You're right. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> well, it's it's been difficult getting people educated on podcasting, but you know every, there are a lot of podcasts being popped up. So I think right. in the future people will get into it. It's sort of the the new the new normal. All right, so you can find the Yay on the Apple Podcast app and on all iPhones and iPads. And of course, you're, if you're already listening, you could tell your friends. You can also find the Yay on iTunes. Just click on iTunes if you have a desktop or a laptop. Click on Store. Don't worry, you're not going to buy anything. Use the search engine. On the upper left-hand side and search for the A, you'll find us. For Android users, download the SoundCloud app or just go on SoundCloud.com and search for the A. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook, and we'll take it from there. You know what? Next time, we got to talk about Cornell West's crazy ass. 
Oh, that's yes. the next time. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I want to – I think we want to have a, um, a podcast, a new podcast called Black in the Bay. Where Ooh, yes. Okay. Oh, I got a guest for you. <laughs> I do. I got a couple – at least a yeah. couple of guests for you. I got a roundup. I've been talking to some folks who want to be on it. I got, It's hard to get people to commit to a weekly schedule. Right, right. So, but – It'll be on there. There are a lot of black issues I want to talk about that we don't get to talk about on the yay. Yeah. And I want to sort of pop up on that. Yeah. That sounds great. The Cornell West slash uh, Tynesha Coates thing. I really, you know, that's something we really want to Yeah, talk we about. do. We got to talk about Yeah. That. Happy holidays, and we, we got to find, find a better sign-off. <laughs> we are out.